jacket for my Turkish friends to display the Turkish flag um, because I'm starting this saying my Turkish friends out there who might be tuning into this, I want to have this disclaimer right up front. I am not personally ticked off by Turkey. <laughs> And I uh, think that Turkey has a rich and vibrant history and is a fascinating place that I can't wait to visit. And I'm sure there are millions and millions of great Turkish people. And that is the disclaimer I put up front because the name of our several part talk starting tonight is Everybody Hates Turkey, a.k.a. Turkey is Ticking Off the World, part one. Again, that's not personal. I don't hate turkey, especially not for Thanksgiving. But what we're trying to launch here uh, is a never-ending effort to try to find a great uh, pattern of education, a new approach, a new process that we can explain very complicated world events to you in this online format in the 21st century that demands nothing but sound bites. So my friends... Uh, my American friends and students, my global friends and students, uh, even my Turkish friends and students, uh, I always want to give you the entire story so that you better understand why I would say something like Turkey's ticking off the world. But I can't do that in a five-second soundbite uh, because there's lots of history involved and, and, and nuances of multiple current events involved in what's going on with Turkey right now. So we're going to do something like a 20 to 30 minute podcast every night this week on the same theme of why and how is Turkey ticking off the world as per the Plat Avenger. We're going to start tonight with kind of mostly background. What is the deal with Team Turk? What is it that I'm talking about with Team Turk ticking everybody off? Well, it, it, you don't have to go too far into current events uh, in fact, you can find uh, current events every single day for the last year. I've seen at least two to three stories that allude to Turkey pissing off some other country or some other ethnic group or some other regional entity within the Middle East. And that's just the nature of international politics. So uh, uh, Turkey is not alone in that it's in international relations and it does in things on the international stage that make other entities unhappy. Every country does that every day. What I'm telling you is something's different now with the approach that Turkey is taking to its overall international policy, its overall foreign policy, and even its overall domestic policy that is making us world watchers kind of give it a deeper, harder second look to kind of know something's going on here. They have definitely changed tack. That is, Turkey, the country, has definitely changed tack uh, from the path it was on for the better part of 50 to 60 years, and it is going its own way, and in doing so is pissing lots of folks off. Okay, what, what headlines am I alluding to? And this is just a handful of things that I hope to get to this week as we chat about and explain how Turkey's ticking off all these entities. Just from the last 24 hours, Greek-Turkish tensions rise in crisis over Eastern Mediterranean. Uh, Weber says Turkey undermining efforts to de-escalate issues in the Eastern Mediterranean. U.S. blasts Turkey for drilling for natural gas in and around Cyprus 
spoiling Israeli pipeline deal, which is also ticking off Greece because they have a pipeline deal, which is also ticking off Egypt because they have a vest. That's just issue one that you probably haven't even heard about. Something about territorial issues in the waters of the Eastern Med. Very hot issue. The thing you probably have heard about is this conflict in Nagorno-Karabakh, this little region of Azerbaijan, which Turkey may be sending foreign fighters into it. Russia is saying that the foreign fighters they're sending into this region of Azerbaijan are going to become a terrorist stronghold. Armenia is fighting in this conflict. They're rightfully pissed off because Turkey's sending in troops against their peoples. And I did have to uh, also point out that there is uh, an allusion here, illusion, allusion, to something called the uh, Armenian Genocide, which was perpetrated by the Ottoman Turkish Empire over a hundred years ago that keeps cropping back up in the news. And I only thought about it because today, today, never thought I would ever utter these words in any podcast, Kim Kardashian donates $1 million to help the Armenian fund in this ongoing conflict, urges her followers, followers which I assume are plentiful, to also donate. So, and you also have uh, uh, Armenian protests happening in LA and San Francisco and other West Coast cities in the United States of America. So these, uh, and all of these people are unhappy about Turkey. Back to point, Turkey pissing off Armenians and people in the Eastern Med. Who else? Turkey's pissing off the United States. U.S. senators are pushing for sanctions against Turkey, a U.S. ally, after Turkey has been using Russian systems to detect U.S. jets and other NATO members' jets. Here's the kicker. Turkey is a NATO member who's now using Russian-made equipment against its fellow NATO members. If you know anything about NATO, this is very odd. It, we're on uh, in uncharted territory with this particular issue of Turkey now perhaps pissing off all of its NATO allies and the United States in particular because it's buying all these weapons from Russia. The United States is also not happy with Turkey because Turkey's been fighting against and killing Kurdish fighters who are paid for and trained by the United States who are fighting in Syria. Again, this is why this has to be a five-part podcast, because what does that even mean? The U.S. has Kurdish allies fighting against the regime in Syria, in Syria's civil war, and Turkey who actually doesn't like the Syrian regime either, is more uh, uh, prone to attack those Kurdish fighters that the U.S. is propping up. <laughs> that ain't making no... So that now you're pissing off the United States and you're pissing off the Kurds. Okay, we'll get to who those folks are too, but that's not all. Turkey's online social media army increasingly slamming the UAE and all the other Arab states who are recognizing the state of Israel. This has been a big story this semester of Arab states recognizing Israel, and Turkey has been making fun of those Arab states for recognizing Israel. Ties with Israel actually have been souring badly between Turkey and Israel for the last several years. They're getting worse. Uh, Recep Erdogan, uh, uh, Tayyip Erdogan, the prime minister, I'm sorry, president of Turkey, is ratcheting up tensions with virtually all the Arab states that are now starting to recognize Israel, including Saudi Arabia, who has not recognized Israel yet. Erdogan said he might even suspend diplomatic ties with the UAE, 
because of some other hijinks that are going on between Turkish and Arab forces in Libya. I know, that's another whole podcast, but we're not done yet. Turkey's EU membership bid evaporating, says the EU Commission earlier today, saying, yeah, we were considering letting Turkey into the EU, but it's almost impossible now. And just hours ago, the German foreign minister was supposed to go visit Turkey to talk about the EU and refugees from the Syrian civil war and a bunch of other stuff. And the German foreign minister said, never mind. There's nothing for us to say. We're just not getting along with Turkey right now. So who does like Turkey? Obviously the Russians do, right? No, the Russians are pissed off at Turkey now too. Tensions are rising because Russia is facing off against Turkey, not in one place, but two. So Russia's been supporting the regime of uh, Bashar al-Assad in Syria. That is the guy in charge of Syria, the dictator in charge of Syria, if you like. And he has been waging a civil war or fighting off a civil war in his country. And he's largely winning, aided by Russia. But Recep Tayyip Erdogan and Turkey have been fighting against that <laughs> and against the Kurds, which I've now told you. So in one fell swoop, Turkey's pissing off Russia, pissing off the Syrian regime, which he doesn't care about, uh, pissing off Russia, who helps the Syrian regime, and in the same war is somehow simultaneously pissing off America because it's also attacking another group that the Americans are sending in to overthrow uh, the Al-Assad regime. That's one thing. And then the Azerbaijan-Armenian conflict, which I already referenced earlier, Russia is supporting Armenia. Turkey is supporting Azerbaijan. So not one but two conflicts Turkey is facing off against Russia. And now we look at this little map here, which was just released earlier today, I think, by the New York Times that I stole. I'm sorry, borrowed. I get full credit. It's for education. We're not making any money here. Uh, and uh, I start, I'm now starting to pay attention to headlines like this that I see in more in-depth articles coming out every week about Turkey's military being overstretched and this little map is showing you and again you've not thought about this one because we're all encompassed and absorbed by the woes and troubles of the united states with the, uh, the trump revolution and uh, oncoming uh, presidential election and the pandemic so no one's even looking at what's going on out there but even if those things weren't happening most americans probably wouldn't know that turkey is involved in no less than four or five almost active conflicts, if not fully active conflicts. So are some very potential soon to be active conflicts. So this is why I'm stepping back at this and looking at these other headlines thinking, wow, okay, something is new here. I taught world regional geography for over 20 years. And I used to have a common shtick that I gave about Turkey, that it's a NATO ally, a US ally, probably will join the EU. And it's also a regional leader within the Middle East. Uh, because lots of Arab folks uh, like Recep Tayyip Erdogan because he stands up to Israel and he supports the Palestinian cause. And Turkey is an Islamic state, but also a functioning democracy. And almost all of those things were true for the last 20 years. And I don't think they mostly are anymore. Uh, some of these other headlines here, the, the Recep Tayyip Erdogan, president of Turkey, is coming out with this thing called the Blue Homeland. So he's claiming the Eastern Mediterranean belongs to Turkey and maybe they're going to go to war over it to make sure that you understand this. Uh, other headlines, the perils of Turkey's regional aspirations. And maybe we even saw this story from a few weeks ago uh, that Turkey converted Hagia Sophia, a world landmark, 
that was visited by millions of tourists every year of many faiths because it was an important building for Christianity, the Byzantine Empire, hell, Roman times, all the way forward into the Islamic era. And they, it used to be a museum, basically, and Turkey uh, said, we're going to convert it back to an active mosque. So they didn't say no one could come to it anymore, but it's little things like that that inflame people. So even that little move ticked off, say, Catholics and uh, old school Byzantines and uh, Orthodox folks who saw that particular structure as important to their religion and their little piece of history. And Turkey's increasingly saying, so what? And that's why this is a new era and I'm doing this five-part podcast. Because the question now becomes, is a clash with Turkey inevitable, as this story is pointing out? Are Turkey's regional aspirations, are they getting too big for their britches? And if you're from Turkey, you're probably saying, hell no. Uh, We're just doing what countries do. And we're going to expand our power like countries expand their power. And good for you. You could be correct. Then again, (laughs) if you piss off everyone, then no one's your friend. So we are looking at a inflection point. That's a fancy cool word, right? Something is changed in the water in Turkey. Pun intended, since they're claiming the Eastern Mediterranean uh, it belongs to them, period. And so I title this podcast, or series of podcasts, Everybody Hates Turkey, uh, except on Thanksgiving. Uh, better reference, er, Turkey's ticking everybody off, including a bunch of its former allies. And where does that take Turkey in the very near future? This is not something that I'm debating is going to change in the next 10 years. Oh, no, my friends. There's enough action going down now that things are going to change in the next year or two to three years. Things will be coming to a head quickly. And because of that, I want you to understand enough of the background of at least a few of the things I've already referenced. And I want you to understand the greater political conflicts or great power conflicts that are happening across the greater region of the Middle East But I want to start with, and all that's related to history, and I want to start with that background and also how does that background affect very specific conflicts that are occurring right this second that Turkey is pissing people off about. So are you good with that? Okay, here we go. I've said for years, again, I've given this lecture many, many times, or at least a intro lecture to Turkey, so I'm going to try to keep it brief since we want to talk about current events. But you can't understand the present unless you know a little bit about the past. So for years I've said Turkey is the bridge between cultures. It is more Western than most other Middle Eastern states, but it's not as Western as Western Europe. In fact, it was thought that they were going to join the EU and become kind of fully incorporated in the West, and that's almost certainly dead in the water now. Turkey is a capitalist system, uh, a not fully developed, but a developing, fairly down the road of developing economy with a heavy manufacturing sector and textiles and service sector. So it, it's still heavy in agriculture. It is integrated into the world economic system. It's not an outlier. It's not super rich, but it's not poor. Uh, it's about a population of about 70 million people, highly educated, mostly Islamic. In fact, one of the Interesting things I've always said about Turkey is that it has been for a very long time uh, the strongest democratic state 
that's a fully Islamic state. I shouldn't use that terminology. Islamic state suggests it's an Islamic political system. I should phrase it like this. It's a democratic state where virtually all the inhabitants are followers of Islam, of his particular religion. Is Islam and democracy opposites? No. And, and Turkey is case in point. No, it's not. Uh, most of the other states uh, around Turkey's neighborhood, most of the Middle Eastern states are also overwhelmingly Islamic, and they're not so much democratic. So it's not an either or. Turkey has been a classic example of, yes, Islamic people probably like democracy too. However, <laughs> again, the kicker is, this is the, this is the intro I used to give when Turkey used to behave in much different ways, but things are changing fast. Now, the first background I got to give, so you understand the bigger picture of what's going on here, is my ethnic ignorance alert. Whoops. And the ethnic ignorance alert I gave uh, last week for any of you that watched my little podcast about the uh, conflict in Nagorno-Karabakh in uh, Azerbaijan. Uh, and I started it by looking at different ethnic groups across the Caucasus region. And we pointed out differences between, say, Armenians and Azerbaijanis, which are Turkic-based people. So if we're going to just concentrate on the Middle East for less than you know 10 seconds, you'd have to understand that the Middle East is not a monolithic ethnic group. It is mostly Arab. Most people think of the Middle East as Arab peoples, but Arab peoples are those peoples from the Arabian Peninsula, you know, Saudi Arabia, Arabian Peninsula, who did spread out uh, during a big conquest period of the Arab Islamic Empire. But Turkish people are not Arab people. They're Turkic-based people. Uh, what you also see on this map in the vicinity of Turkey is Kurdish peoples in that little brown blob. I also want to point out a Persian people. Persian people are in the modern state of Iran. Iran equals Persia. Persian people live in Iran, by and large. That's their ethnic group. That sets the stage for, okay, now we can start to look at how did modern Turkey get to where it's at and who owned what chunks of land at what period in time because that plays into our first set of Turkey ticking off people because they're claiming land and waters now. And the question is, why? How long has Turkey been around and do they have some sort of justifiable claim on some of these things they're saying belong to them? Well, Turkey, I should say Asia Minor, the Anatolian Peninsula is the best way to put it. Anatolian Peninsula. That makes it very geologic. It takes politics out of it. The Anatolian Peninsula, you know what a peninsula is, a piece of land that's bounded by water on three sides. Turkey, if you look at the state of Turkey on this old school map here, it's called Phrygia here because that's what it was called back then. But Phrygia, that little area, that is the Anatolian Peninsula. And do pay attention to the Anatolian Peninsula to see how many different groups of people actually lived here over the course of the last, oh, I don't know, 3,000 years. You'll, you might be wildly surprised to find out that the Turks, who currently control the state of Turkey... Uh, that's made up of Turkish people, are the last people to get to this place. So the Assyrians, you may remember back from Vacation Bible School or Raiders of the Lost Ark, the Assyrians gave way to the Babylonians. The Babylonians give way to the great Persian Empire. Hey, Persian, I already told you that name. Who's that? Oh, that's modern-day Iran. That's right. Way back in the day, 
Over 2,000 years ago, the Persians used to kick ass in this part of the world, and they controlled all of the Anatolian Peninsula and even into parts of Greece and in even parts of India and even in parts of Egypt. So put that in your brain already. The Persians, a big empire that controlled vast sections of the Middle East, including the Anatolian Peninsula. But they soon give way to the Greeks. If anybody's ever seen the movie The 300, <laughs> wildly historically accurate film, said no one ever. You'll know that the Greek states, and now we're getting at the basis of Western civilization, the Greeks and their city-states. And the Greeks push out from uh, the Peloponnesian Peninsula, it's the southern part of uh, what's now modern Greece, uh, and Greece proper around Athens. And they move peoples and their culture and start up city-states. And I want you to really look at that little pink area on the map very quickly. I know, this is ancient history, and guess what? It's got everything to do with the current conflict between Greece and Turkey over those Mediterranean waters. Because if you want to go back in history far enough, Greece owned all the Aegean Sea, and Greece owned part of Asia Minor. Greece owned the, co the coast of what's now Turkey. And Greece owned lots of coastline around the Mediterranean. But Greece soon gives way to Alexander the Great. Everybody thinks Alexander the Great's a Greek. He's a Macedonian. Well, he was a Macedonian. Now he's 100% dead. But uh, under Alexander the Great, he unified the Greek Empire and then pushed it way further afield. And in fact, went and conquered the Persian Empire and took it all over. So already we're looking at modern day Greece used to be Assyrian, then Babylonian, then Persian, then kind of Greece, and then kind of Macedonian, kind of Alexander the Great. And after Alexander the Great goes away, the Roman Empire takes over for the Greek Empire. And the Roman Empire controls all of Anatolian Peninsula, all of Anatolian Peninsula, a.k.a. Asia Minor. All of what's now Turkey still doesn't have any Turks in it. We're up to the Romans. And of course, the Romans expand into what's now uh, Eastern and Western Europe. That's where they're going to make their political and cultural legacy. But we're not even done because the Roman Empire kind of crashes and burns. Give it about 300, 400 AD. The dates don't really uh, matter that much to me. But I want you to understand enough history to know that the Roman Empire gets split. It gets too big. It gets unruly. They're being attacked by barbarians. That's a whole nother lecture. But it has to get split up in order for rulers to be able to rule certain chunks of it. That's where you get the Western Roman Empire divided up into the Eastern Roman Empire, a.k.a. learn this, kids, for the test. Eastern Roman Empire becomes this place called Byzantium. Byzantia. The Byzantium Empire. The Western Roman Empire is what's going to be where the Roman Catholics end up. The Eastern Roman Empire... It becomes the kind of holder and purveyor of Christianity, what's going to be called Eastern Orthodoxy Christianity, for another thousand years after the Western Roman Empire kind of crumbles and goes away. So Byzantium, remember that, because Byzantium is covering that whole area that we're going to call Turkey in another couple thousand years. So Europe and the Byzantine Empire, by 525, 565 is what this map is showing, the rest of Europe is going to go on to be taken over by different kingdoms, the Gauls, which turn into the Franks, uh, the Ostrogoths, uh, 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 which turn into the Visigoths, which turns into the Spanish. So that's all European history. But the Byzantium Empire actually holds on for, again, another 500, 600, 700 years. And I want to go back to a, a map just focusing on the Byzantium Empire, the Eastern Roman Empire. 
uh, for just a bit because I that lower map is showing you that the Sassanid Empire, another Persian empire, does rise up at one point and is pushing up against it. So this isn't a static world. Empires come and go. And they're coming and going even when I'm showing you snapshots of different areas that used to control uh, uh, the Anatolian Peninsula. And even the Byzantium's day is not going to last for much longer because there's another coming force down in the Arab Peninsula, the Arabian Peninsula, where Arab ethnicity is centered in. And these guys invent Islam. Or it's revealed to them, not trying to get into a religious uh, argument right here. Uh, Islam is introduced to the Arab tribes of what's now Saudi Arabia. And they take this religion uh, under the founder, Muhammad, who God speaks through him. And they start a new religion. And they take that religion and just they don't just spread the religion like, hey, everybody, look at this new religion we got. They spread that religion through a Arab Islamic empire. So it becomes another kind of old school empire with, you know, politicians and bureaucrats and armies and invading armies and pushing armies that push not just the Arab empire, but they take Islam with them as they expand. And they expand a good long way all the way into Central Asia and all across North Africa and even into what's now Spain and Portugal. It's the Arab Islamic empire. And you're talking about years of 600, 700, 800, 900 AD. We're still a thousand years out, but look at the map. The Byzantium Empire is still there. The Byzantium, the Asia Minor, the Anatolian Peninsula, where Turkey's going to end up at this point, a thousand years ago, is kind of half Byzantium Empire and half Arab Islamic Empire. There's still not a Turk to be found. So we need to catch up here. So once you pass the peak of political religious uh, Arab Empire, we do need to introduce uh, another group. And that Arab Islamic Empire's heyday, really, they, they kind of start to falter, as all empires do. And they kind of go away starting about 1258. Why is it just exactly 1258? Because that's when the Mongol Empire comes in and sacks and raids and burns Baghdad to the ground, which was the capital of the Arab Islamic Empire at that time. 1258, it's always such an easy era to remember. The golden age of Islam comes to an end because the Genghis Khan crew comes in from Central Asia and kicks the living shit out of everybody. And it's interesting that I said the Genghis Khan crew comes out of Central Asia because they're not the only ones that come out of Central Asia. These folks that are called Turkic, ethnically Turkic peoples, are from Central Asia. They're from somewhere between Mongolia and Kazakhstan and Uzbekistan and Turkmenistan. And we're, again, we're talking about thousands of years ago. They're just groups of people who just happen to live there. Like you, if you read any Roman history, you know that the Huns invaded at one point. And they were from Central Asia. Then the, the, the Genghis Khans and, and, and that group invades. The Turkic invasion is a little more subtle. It's just migrating peoples that are happening all at the same time that all of these empires are rising and falling and I'm talking about. And Turkic peoples themselves are not a monolithic group. It's a, it's a related ancestry. So Kazakh people are Turkic-based. Azeri people are Turkic-based. That's where Azerbaijan, Azeri people, and people that are going to end up being in control of a country called Turkey are Turkic-based. All of their ethnicities are related. All their language groups are related to kind of a primary proto-Turkic language. So you have a little bit uh, of a, a, a greater Turkish expression, that, or Turkic expression, I should say, 
from Central Asia that comes into the modern Middle East about a thousand years ago. And now I'm going to catch up really quick. This series of maps is just showing you uh, from top to bottom. I, I don't have a, a dates on them because it's not necessary. But just look at how the Byzantine Empire starts to shrink. And uh, it, it, the top slide, it's still kind of big. It controls most of Asia Minor and modern-day Greece. And then the next slide down, it's called the Latin Empire, and it's getting pushed out. And the next slide down, it's even pushed out even further because somebody, some group called the Seljuk Sultanate is taking over. Seljuk, Seljuk Turks are moving into this area. And this is 1,900, 1,000, 1,100, 1,200 AD, same time that the uh, Arab uh, Islamic Empire crashes because the Mongols, these folks are moving in. The Turks are moving into modern-day Turkey. And you've probably heard this from some history. This is when, uh, oh, what are those things called? Where the Christians come in to liberate the Holy Land, you know, the Crusades. And there's Turks, uh, fight, there's Arabs fighting against the crusader, uh, crusading Christians, but also there's Turks that are eventually fighting against the crusading Christians. That's when all of this is happening. And this all kind of culminates uh, by 1453 when all of the Byzantine Empire falls to the Turks. And they're going to start something called the Ottoman Empire. And look, there's a picture of Hagia Sophia. Before this uh, uh, takeover by the Ottoman Turks, who are followers of Islam, by the way, uh, before the takeover of 1453, Hagia Sophia was a Byzantine church for a thousand years, a Greek Orthodox church or just an Orthodox, Eastern Orthodox church. And then it was converted it was the scene of a famous siege, and people uh, got slaughtered uh, uh, on the altars of the church. It was a really horrific uh, battle for Constantinople, which is now modern-day Istanbul, when the Turks took it all over and formed this thing we now call the Ottoman Empire. So that's why one of the opening slides showed you, oh, they changed Hagia Sophia from an international landmark to be a functioning Islamic uh, holy ground again. And that's a little divisive to people who know their history and have an attachment, historical and religious and cultural attachment to this part of the Anatolian Peninsula, particularly Constantinople. That was the capital of the uh, Eastern Roman Empire, a.k.a. Byzantium, for a very long time. So now we're finally caught up. Now we've got Turks here. Now I can finish off the introduction <laughs> to how did the Turks get in this place and why are they pissing off so many people right this second? The Ottoman Turks took over, basically, the big empire in the Middle uh, East from the declining Arab Isra uh, uh, Islamic empire that had already gone away. They basically rebuilt it back up under a new ethnic group, the Turks. Uh, and you see now that's when you get all of the Anatolian Peninsula is controlled by the Ottoman Turkish Empire. Also parts, uh, all of what's now modern-day Greece, all of the Balkan Peninsula, all the way up to Hungary. Uh, the Ottoman Empire almost took over Austria at one point. The Ottoman Empire took over most of North Africa, Egypt, a lot of the classic core areas of the Middle East. So this is a significant empire based on a different group of humans, the Ottoman Turks. Uh, and we've already talked about this. The... Uh, Arab Islamic Empire was basically succeeded by the Ottoman Empire. However, to catch you up completely, uh, as quickly as can to get to this century, the Ottoman Empire is not going to last forever either. And it had a good run. It had a good six or seven hundred year run. 
But coming into the 20th century, it was clunky. Uh, it was behind the times politically. Economically, it was a bit of a debacle. Uh, while all the European states and even Russia, to a certain extent, were industrializing. And the United States was industrializing and getting stronger and building modern armies and new weapons. The Ottomans were got really, really far behind. And they knew they were so far behind that when World War I uh, started knocking on the door of Europe, the Ottomans said, hey, we suck so bad, we should, pro we should probably team up with somebody. Uh, and they went to the UK and said, hey, can we, can we be on your side? And the UK said, no. <laughs> and they said, hey, hey, France, can we all be on your side? And France said, no, we all think you suck. And so they said, well, let's go partner up with Germany. So the Ottoman Empire sided up with Germany in what, of course, is not a good move in European history because the Ottoman Empire, as a German ally, was on the losing side of World War I. And as such, as a already weakened empire that then sided up inappropriately in World War I, they lost and they get dismembered by the victorious European powers, including, and to a lesser extent, the United States, which, by the way, said, hey, you should leave Turkey intact and not mess with them. The European powers said, no, 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 we're just going to divide up the whole Ottoman Empire and take what we want. For those of you that have seen me teach about other things... Uh, namely the Syrian civil war or the current civil war going on in uh, Azerbaijan between the Azeris and the Armenians, you know that part of that is couched in who ended up taking over parts of the Ottoman Empire. So Syria became a kind of a colony of France. Uh, Egypt, Sudan, uh, Iraq, all of those were uh, under the manifest of Great Britain. So was the state of Palestine. And that's another reason why uh, or another part of this situation that I've talked about in other lectures that well, how do we get the modern day state of Israel? Because Britain controlled it after World War I because they took it away from the Ottoman Empire. In fact, most of the colonizing or conquering powers uh, after World War I wanted to dismember Turkey proper and just get rid of all the Turks or at least get rid of their political power. I'm not suggesting they're going to have a genocide. But they said, no, 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 we should dismember them in, entire, in their entirety, not to let them have a state at all. Uh, Turkey was the core of the Ottoman Turk Empire. And so the modern day state of Turkey is what is left. It is the last remnant of the classic Ottoman Empire. That's where it was the seat of political power in Constantinople, a.k.a. Istanbul. And so they had to fight uh, to hold on to even a nation state status after World War I. Now, one would think that would embitter them, but au contraire, uh, that actually helped form the modern state of Turkey because after they were in decline for several hundred, couple hundred years, by, by the way, I said they were in a state of decline from 1700 to 1900. That means they were not in a state of decline from like 1300 up to 1700. So they had a really good run where they were kicking the crap out of Europeans. They were large and in charge and had a lot of booty to show for it. But like all, like all empires, they fade. And so as they start to crash and burn for a couple hundred years of a slow decline, uh, the last sultanate was deposed in 1909. They just said they gave up. Turkey was looking around going, hey, look, the Europeans are modernizing. We should probably try to get on board with that. But we have this antiquated old system, and old systems die hard. So, you know, 700-year tradition, the royal family doesn't want to give it up. Hell, Great Britain still got a queen because they don't want to give it up. So it, it doesn't happen overnight, even though lots of people in Turkish society saw it coming and wanted to modernize. 
after now I've told you a bad alliance with Germany in World War One. Oops, uh, they lose big chunks of their territory. Uh, and there is this dude named Mustafa Kemal who leads a resistance to the Allied powers plan to utterly destroy even the last vestige of Turkey and take it away from the Turks. He was an army commander. He did not want to fight in World War I, but he was a good soldier. He saw the future, the writing on the wall, that Turkey was going to be utterly wiped from existence. And so he led a band of officers and rallied people and fought back and said, no, 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 no. We're, the Ottoman Empire is gone, but we are forming the modern state of Turkey, and that's what they did in 1923. They pushed back against the French, mostly the French, but I think also the British, to say, no, no, we're not, you're not taking us over. We're, we're going to play by the modern rules. We're going to become a state, an a.k.a. nation-state, uh, if you know those terms, and that was established in 1923. Now, who is this dude, Mustafa Kemal? And what the hell does that got to do with any of the conflicts in today's world? I know I'm already 10 minutes over. I'll try to summarize quickly now, but that means I only got two hours to go. Mustafa Kemal is the George Washington of Turkey. No, no, no. He's the George Washington. Uh, 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 he's what George Washington is to the United States, and Gandhi is to India, and Mao Zedong uh, is to China, all rolled up into one dude. He is the founding father of the modern state. He is revered. He was a military guy. And as a military guy, he's uh, not only Turkish and father of the Turks, but as a military guy, he wanted to make Turkey into a modern state in very specific ways. Meaning, please dedicate this to memory because it, it's a very important part of why Turkey is becoming so different today. Under Mustafa Kemal, the uh, father of Turks, father of Turkey, he said, hey, look, uh, all the other states around us in this region are monarchies and uh, Islamic states. That's not the modern world way. We are going to be a democracy and we're going to be a secular democracy. Let me say that slowly into the microphone. Secular. Secular democracy meaning you're not going to be an Islamic state. You're not going to use Islamic law as the law of the land. You're not going to let religious leaders be in charge of your country. That's the way it is in next door in Iran. Uh, and one could argue that's the way it is for several other states in the Middle East, although they're mostly monarchies who prop themselves up saying, well, we're good Islamic people and therefore we should be in charge. Mustafa Kemal said, I'm not having none of that. Uh, uh, democracy, secular democracy, the church and state, the religion and state are separate. And he did something I like to liken to the Meiji Restoration of Turkey. For those of you that are already taking the Japan lectures, you know the Meiji Restoration completely and utterly modernized Japan in several decades. Under Ataturk, he tried to do the same thing in Turkey. Built roads, railroads, telegraph poles, electricity installed, uh, a modern public education system, uh, tried to build a modern medical system, uh, tried to catch up the country very quickly. And they were doing pretty decent. But then World War II happened. <laughs> and uh, the Turks stayed out of World War II, although they really wanted to get involved because they were really pissed off at Germany for losing World War I for them. So they wanted, they really wanted to fight on behalf of the Allies in World War II. They wanted to go fight them Nazis. But 
the Americans and probably the Brits and others said, no, 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 just be chill. Your, your military's not quite up to snuff yet. We need you to just chill and not open up another front because if you declare war, then the Nazis are going to come after you guys and we're already stretched pretty thin with this whole invasion of Europe thing. So they were told to sit on the sidelines of uh, World War II, which they did until like the very last week of World War II, right before the Nazis crumbled. And Turkey said, we declare war on Germany. <laughs> gotcha, suckers. Uh, and because they did that, they actually were part of the Allied winning team in World War II. That's significant. Because what rolls after that is that Turkey is one of the founding members of the United Nation. Turkey in 1952 is the first a new entry into this thing called NATO, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. That's a Western defense organization. And Turkey was in it in 1952. It only formed up in 1949. So from the get-go, you're starting to see, oh, Turkey was it, was, it was moving itself towards the European Western way. Uh, I'm jumping ahead, but Turkey wanted to join the European Union proper and tried for 30 years and failed uh, because, quite frankly, the European Union failed them. But I'm getting ahead of myself. The, as a military man, Ataturk made sure that the military played more than a supporting role in Turkey's secular democracy, meaning uh, in Turkey's constitution and the way that it worked, uh, for the six, 50s, 60s, 70s, all the way into the 80s, is that the military was accorded a lot of power to basically go overthrow the government if it started to lean too much towards uh, Islamic rule or if it got too corrupt. Uh, and that actually indeed happened. The Turkish military completely overthrew the government, not once, not twice, but three times was the charm, uh, and then reinstated uh, civilian rule as soon as they cleaned house. So basically, the Turkish military's role for most of modern Turkey was make sure the government's functioning properly, make sure that it doesn't start leaning towards being an Islamic-influenced political system, and make sure it's not too corrupt. And if it does, wipe them out, reset elections, let them go. That's the way it worked for a long time, and many would say it worked kind of good. And Turkey was coming into the modern world, and Turkey was a candidate to get into the EU, and Turkey was and is uh, a loyal uh, NATO partner. And Turkey did, and still does, host U.S. troops on Turkish soil to do activities in the Middle East. You couldn't have had the U.S. invasion of Iraq without the uh, uh, U.S. air bases in Turkey. So all of these things are happening in tandem for decades that make it look like Turkey was a West, was part of Team West, was a staunch ally, not just the United States, but most of those European countries. And it was on track to get into the EU. Now, some of the things that held them back from that was this little thing called the Cyprus issue and some human rights abuses over this group called the Tur uh, the Kurds. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I already referenced them in that ethnic map, remember? But I should... Uh, try to wrap this up tonight by giving you just a couple of territorial issues that are related to this rise of modern Turkey that we're starting to see flare up again right this second. And the first one is this place called Cyprus. Now, Cyprus is an island. It's a country. It's a state. It's a state that's in the European Union. Turkey's not, but Cyprus is. And all those Cyprus, as you can see in the summaries here, peacefully declared independence from the U.K., 
Greece and Turkey in 1960s, uh, post-World War II, um, there was a, I, I, I'm not even going to pretend like I understand this, but I'm fairly good at summarizing. So Tur Cyprus was going to, is independent, and it was moving in an independent uh, fashion, but then, uh, and there's ethnic Greeks on Cyprus, and there's ethnic Turks on Cyprus, so already you see where this is going. Uh, and the Greek government, or there was some sort of coup attempt by the Greek government to kind of take over uh, uh, Cyprus's government, at least covertly, in an effort to get Cyprus to want to be reabsorbed by Greece. And to counter that, and this is, uh, I think we're in the 1970s now, or 74, uh, the Turks invaded northern Cyprus and installed a pro-Turkish government. So there's a pro-Greek government in the south and a pro-Turkish government in the north. And actually they carved out a little enclave, which I think you can see here in the Turkish Cypriot area, that's supposed to be a completely separate state that only Turkey recognizes. So Turkey recognizes the northern Cypriotic Turkish area as a separate state. No one else on planet Earth does. Uh, and then, of course, the southern part is in the Greek Cypriotic area. And yes, they've had fighting and war and shut down whole little areas of this island to tourism because of the conflict that's on again, off again since 1970s. Uh, and guess what? It's getting hot again today. So already now, okay, now we got Turkey pissing on people <laughs> in Cyprus because as their foreign policy gets more aggressive, they're going back old school to some outstanding territorial issues and they're, uh, 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 they're putting a stick in it. They're, they're getting things ramped back up again in an effort to exude their influence and power to other areas. So that was back in the 70s. There is one other uh, um, curveball I got to throw in here to catch you up with why things are going in this direction right now. And that why is Turkey ticking off so many people right now? Enter the Turkish Titan, as I like to call him, Recep Tayyip Erdogan. He has basically been large and in charge of Turkish politics and the Turkish state for, gosh, it's got to be going on 20 years now, right? Let's see what this profile says. Uh, 2003, he was elected in 2002 as a prime minister. So yeah, 18 years now uh, with no end in sight of him ever losing power because he is changing the state. Okay, who is he? Who is this Recep Tayyip Erdogan and why is he important to understand the modern era? He is in, uh, 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 was a prime minister originally. And in a prime minister system in countries, you don't vote for a dude to be the president. Okay, in a prime in a prime minister, the prime minister of a country is that his or her political party won the most votes, and so the political party puts up their leader, and that's the prime minister. So, like in America, you're getting ready to go vote for Trump or Biden, and whoever gets the most votes or who has the most electoral college votes, which of course is the weirdest damn thing ever. Whoever wins because you're voting for a person, that person becomes the leader of America. In a prime minister situation, you just go vote for Republicans or Democrats. And whoever controls the House, they get to put up the prime minister. That's how it worked for Recep Tayyip Erdogan. It used to be a prime ministership type of system in Turkey. And he was in charge of this political party called the Justice and Development Party, the AKP party uh, in Turkish. AKP, 
The thing I got to get you to understand about the AKP party, the Justice and Development Party, is that it, it it's not a religious party per se. It's not an Islamic political party. All the people in the party are followers of Islam, and the party doesn't suggest that Islam should take over and rule the state under Islamic legal code and Islamic this, that, or the other. The party doesn't say that, but they're an extremely religious party that's extremely conservative. And the reason I'm stressing this so hard for you before I wrap this up is that I already told you that the Turkish military is the protector of the democracy. And in times past, if it appears that a religious party, I'm sorry, that any political party is too corrupt or is becoming too religious, the army's role, the military's role was to wipe them out, not kill them, just fire everybody and reset the system. And ever since day one that Recep Tayyip Erdogan has come to power in this very conservative, very religious political party, the military has been rightly worried. Now, that political party, again, has made no concrete moves to say, we're going to make this an Islamic state. We're going to change the law to Islamic uh, legal code. We're going to put a mullah in charge instead of a president. They've not done any of those things. But they have, a Recep Tayyip Erdogan has pushed back hard against rules that ban religious garb wearing in government buildings and pushed back against things. He's very similar to Donald Trump in America and some other leaders I could point out that has come to power and has gotten popular and said, but I like religion and I think we should have more religion in our country and we should be more open about it and we might should loosen restrictions on religion. That's more what Recep has been up to. And it has been rightfully wording to the military, so much so that there was an attempted coup a couple years ago that failed miserably. And because of that, Recep Tayyip Erdogan has been very leery of the military and has basically had it neutered in the 18 years since he's taken power. Again, this is extremely important for you to understand why Turkey's doing what it's doing right now. Because in times past, the military would have already checked the AKP's power, but the military has been neutered in a sense. It's still there, but Recep Tayyip Erdogan has fired everybody who's not a loyalist to him in the military, jailed lots of people, jailed lots of uh, reporters. It's hard to say it's a free press there anymore. Uh, he jails dissidents. They attack uh, any competing political party. So what you've had with Recep Tayyip Erdogan over the course of 18 years is more power has been accumulated to him personally and his political party, which did legally and, and justifiably vote him into power. Nobody's suggesting that the AKP party faked the elections, but it's a, it's a divided society, very much like America. So like America, say 50% conservative, 50% liberal, it's about the same in Turkey, and the 50% conservative all are in the AKP party, and the 50% liberal are people in the big cities, again, much like uh, America. The liberal people are in the big cities and urban areas, and they don't like that conservative stuff the AKP does, but they, they have won elections in the past, at least they used to. 
uh, and reset tie up Erdogan while he did gain legitimate political power in 2002, has then done many things to change the rules so that he has stayed in power for 18 years. They actually changed the whole system. They got rid of the prime minister system after he was prime minister for, I don't know, a decade or so. Then they changed the rules and they made a president. So they have a presidential system like the USA does now. And lo and behold, who won that presidential election? He did. And then when he uh, was in power for the first term, I think they changed the rules again to extend the length of the presidential term, which means he could run again and maybe run indefinitely. And, and you add to that uh, persecution of the press, your limiting of free press, jailing of political dissidents, a coup attempt in which uh, it infuriated Erdogan so much that he absolutely cleaned house. He jailed or, or kicked people out or got them fired uh, in universities who stood against him or, or complained about the government, fired or got rid of or jailed most of the military people who didn't weren't on board with his uh, 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 package. So the end game here is you have a guy who was legit, uh, elected legitimately, who is conservative, who is religious, and who is steering the state towards that, it's not a goal, steering the state away from the military-protected secular democracy and into something else. And he is doing now everything to maintain power, so much so that I'm not sure that Turkey is a secular democracy anymore, I actually categorize it as a one-party state. His one political party, there are other political parties, but his political party controls everything. Controls the whole Congress, controls the presidency, controls the prime ministership, controls the courts, controls the press. So when you're in that situation, it's like, well, I used to like this guy. I, and I think he's, he's thinks he's doing the right thing, but it's hard to call them a democracy anymore. It's getting tougher every single day. Uh, and this is just a kind of a summary of a lot of those same things of he was a center-right conservative, semi-religious traditionalist party that is starting to erode the secular liberal democracy. Um, and he does have solid support, or at least he did have solid support. He probably still has at least 40 to 50 percent support of Turkish people, which is keeping him in power. Okay. Uh, and because his power position has now been almost two decades strong, he is increasingly seen as kind of a leader uh, within Middle Eastern affairs in general uh, because he does stand up to uh, Israel. He is seen as a defender of the Palestinian cause, which is putting him at odds with a lot of the Arab states, which are uh, currently starting to recognize Israel. Uh, he has done a lot to put down the Kurdish population, which I didn't even get to that, but I'll pick it up next time. And I'm going to jump over this just to get to the last couple little things about uh, stuff that is going on that is conflict that Turkey is promoting based just on historical stuff. I said there was this group called the, Tur the Kurds that were there. And... Yeah, I was going to say, what? Yeah, yeah, you had Did to I touch hit, something? Yeah, Sorry. You have to hit play and you have to Katie has to fix everything. Play, slideshow, and window. So the Kurds are a group that uh, I said it's a not Turkish group. They're not Arab. They're not Turkish. They're not Persian. They're Kurdish. And they've been hanging out in the hills uh, of the Middle East for a very long time and many times fighting for an independent Kurdish state. They fought for an independent Kurdish state against the Turkish government. They fought against the Saddam Hussein Iraqi government to uh, form their own independent state. 
Uh, and this has been a particular flashpoint for Turkey because ever since Recep, even before Recep Erdogan, the Turkish government routinely put down any sort of Kurdish insurrection or Kurdish uprising or Kurdish labor movement or Kurdish anything. So much so that it became a big irritant for the European Union. So the European Union originally said, hey, Turkey, we'd love for you to join our club, but you have to stop beating the hell out of Kurdish people, for one. You have to give them the right to vote, and they're, they're in your territory, so they have to be citizens. So you need to fix your human rights abuses with the uh, Kurdish people, but also you got to fix your situation with Cyprus. You're dividing the Cyprus island. Uh, you're stoking uh, 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 animosity there. Uh, and I'm going to end with this. And now we also have a, the last territorial claim that's causing friction based on history is that, remember, remember like an hour ago when I showed you all those slides of the rise of the Greek city-states and then the Macedonian Empire and then the Roman Empire? Well, ever since that time, there's just been there's been a place called Greece. Uh, they were absorbed into the Ottoman Empire for a while, but once the Ottoman Empire went away, Greece became Greece again. And Greece claimed a bunch of its islands that it historically owned. Like all those little islands, like hundreds of little islands in the place called the Aegean Sea. And if you look at this map, you see that a lot of those islands are literally five or ten miles off the coast of Turkey proper, but they belong to Greece. Uh, and so you have a territorial fight because Turkey wants to claim maybe not those islands, but parts of the Mediterranean Ocean. And it's partly why they're holding on to this dream of having Cyprus turn Turkish. So there's a whole Aegean dispute over who owns territorial waters because many of those Greek islands are literally one to two miles off the Turkish coast. And by the way, I'm not making fun of Turkey here. Think about that if, you were, uh, if you're a military person, uh, if you're worried about your national defense, if you're worried about being attacked. If China owned an island a one mile off the coast of San Francisco, that would be problematic for the United States. So I am going to give Turkey a little bit of street cred here of like, no, 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 there is a dispute over these territorial waters, and some of it is legit. Some of it troubles Turkey, and Turkey's been pushing back. But they're now pushing back a lot harder than they ever did before, because the last slide I'm going to show you here is that now you have, in summary, you have some historical animosity between groups that we'll start with next time within the greater Middle East, but you have some historical uh, items that Turkey is being very belligerent about in the modern era and really ticking people off. Namely, in this map is showing you that they are claiming big chunks of the Eastern Mediterranean Sea because they have found, they and other groups have found shit tons of natural gas underneath the Mediterranean basin. So now it's a scramble to figure out who owns what and to say, that, no, this, this is ours. And Greece is saying, well, all these islands, these islands are ours, so all the waters around the islands are ours. And this is really infuriating Turkey who's pushing back and sending military vessels and naval exploration vessels and natural gas exploration vessels that are now starting to perhaps bump up against Greek vessels and Israeli vessels and Egyptian vessels. So that's part of the historic territorial claim. But you also have... Uh, Turkey pissing off Greece over that territory. P Turkey now pissing off Cyprus over the Cyprus issue, which is getting hotter by the minute because of those resources that everybody's fighting over now. I've already told you how they're pissing off the EU because, they're, because of the Cyprus situation. 
and because of the Kurdish situation. And I didn't even reference Armenia. At the end of the Ottoman Empire, as World War I was grinding away and the Ottoman Empire was losing it, this little thing called the Armenian Genocide occurred. As I referenced earlier, perhaps over a million Armenian uh, ethnic Armenians were killed by Ottoman Turkish troops. Now, Turkey in the modern era says, hey, look, that was the Ottoman Empire. We're the modern state of Turkey. It wasn't us. But the Armenians are still very unhappy about it. They've been petitioning worldwide governments to recognize the Armenian Genocide in order to be able to have get reparations or punish Turkey. And no one was really willing to do that, except Turkey's ticking off everybody now. So you're going to see more of all of these issues because as Turkey pushes up against Greece now, pushes up against Cyprus, is pushing up against Armenia and funneling money and guns into that Armenian-Azerbaijani conflict. That's for another day this week. That's a whole other talk. But they're all kind of related. I just wanted to start with the history, to start with the historical pissing off that's just between these entities. And we'll end it there and pick up specific things that Turkey's doing in the Syrian civil war, perhaps tomorrow. Uh, what Turkey's doing in the Azeri-Armenian uh, conflict, maybe that's the next day. What Turkey's doing with NATO, that may be a whole other talk. What Turkey's doing to piss off Israel, that may be another talk. So we have got a lot of other things to unpack, but this was the ground starter of, this is just a handful of people that Turkey's pissing off and how they got to that point in this particular modern era under one Recep Tayyip Erdogan in power for 18 years with no signs of going anywhere in something that's particularly not a secular democracy anymore, probably a one-party state. And as a one-party state leader, he decides what his country is going to do for all policies. And he does appear to be much more adamant about rebuilding a greater Turkish empire, perhaps. But we'll leave it there for now, and we'll pick up another aspect of this tomorrow night at 8 o'clock. If there are any questions, should I just end it? Or if there are any questions, I will try to answer those right now. I will love to answer some questions. <laughs> Scarface says, rest in peace, Ottoman Empire. <laughs> uh, on your Facebook, uh, Julia Safa said, when will you be on Drunk History? If you need someone to submit a form for you, I volunteer as Get me in drunk history. What do you think I just did? What do you think I'm doing right now? <laughs> yeah, I have heard of that show, but I've never watched it. But how hard can it be? I lectured for 20 years, rarely sober. Oh, sure. Uh, someone's asking on Twitch, what days do we usually stream? Well, I, I'm kind of new to this. Katie's been uh, asking me to do more podcasting for 12 years. <laughs> and I'm mostly doing it now because we're moving to a digital. We were a digital age 12 years ago. It was all brand new and happy and fun. But in the current COVID crisis, I mean, everybody's online. And I figure with winter coming, winter's coming. What's that from? Is that, is that the quote? Winter's coming from the Game of Thrones shit? Winter's coming. COVID's coming. So uh, with winter and COVID coming, I figure that things are going to shut down even more. And so what a good time to me to try to dust off my skill set and see if I can do some podcasting. And I said I was only going to go 20 or 30 minutes. I'm terrible at this. I'm terrible at this. 
I'm trying to break it into smaller chunks, but I, I just am very passionate that I want you to understand the, the why behind current international conflicts or just current international issues uh, instead of just knowing, oh, this is happening. I, I'm so sick of education of, and even news of this is happening. You should know this is happening. Okay. But you have no idea why any of this is happening. Anyway, to answer your question, I, I'm new at this. So we're going to, like I said this week, we're going to do uh, just Turkey ticking off the world for another three days so I can at least try to cover all the major issues and then summarize at the end of, and here's where Turkey's going with it. To me, it's getting kind of obvious. So I, if you all like this, I like the idea of being able to talk a little bit more in depth, but a little bit at a time. So I will try for the next several days to hold it to 20 or 30 minutes for select issues of the Turkey's role in the Syrian civil war, Turkey's role in the Azeri conflict. Uh, and that way I can get through more and then answer questions. So long answer for your short question. We don't have a particular pattern yet. We're going to try this this week. And if you get if enough of you say you like this, then I'll continue just to do a podcast a th one theme per week and then do at least multiple podcasts for the, for each week on that item. And we found that later at night seems to be more casual for people. I was doing something called the Weekly World in Review on Friday afternoon, which I'll still do. Uh, but more people said, oh, I'd rather watch something at night because I got nothing to do. So I'm like, okay, so we're going to try this, but we're open we're open for feedback and we're open for change, but we're going to give this a whirl this week. So they asked if they could see what I look like. Meet me. Hey. Oh my God, you look like a dwarf. <laughs> I know. I You're right beside me. How are you that I'm small? Short. See, like it's like the top of Let's my head. Let's get you up there. <laughs> Hi, I'm Katie. Yeah, but the scale is so weird. <laughs> Stand back there. Oh I'm like, God. I'm Gandalf. Come here, little hobbit. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's pretty funny. <laughs> oh, Frodo, you and your damn ring. Oh, that's a very good question. The question is, what can the West do to help the Armenian cause without triggering Turkey? Uh, nothing. Right this second, nothing. Um, the West is not going to go anywhere near this Armenian-Azerbaijan squabble. Not with troops. Now, France has already come out and made fun of Turkey and said, again, I didn't mention France is fully ticked off at Turkey. France is fully ticked off at Turkey because Turkey's sending weapons and uh, fighters into the Azeri conflict, but also because Turkey's being very belligerent in the Eastern Med, and the French have a vested interest in that territory as well with their allies. So the French have been very vocal about how ticked off they are at Turkey, and it's probably one of the reasons why that the Germans canceled their meeting this week, and probably one of the reasons why I just saw that story of the EU basically saying, yeah, there's no way in hell we're letting Turkey in. So all they can do is pressure Turkey politically and economically, maybe even with sanctions or something. Even that seems like it, it's not really going to affect Turkey that much, and they probably know that. So the West is not going to intervene military, militarily, no way in hell. Uh, they probably won't do much else except sanctions and Turkey's Erdogan. Again, this is more for our final talk on Turkey's Erdogan and Erdogan's Turkey. Ooh, that's the final thought. That's the final one right there. Turkey's Erdogan and Erdogan's Turkey. 
uh, because he it is his turkey now, and he's taking it where he wants it to go. And he shows absolutely no qualms about not caring about pissing off the West. None. Him buying those re- Russian weapons was probably the most inflammatory thing he's done since he's been in charge of Turkey for almost 20 years. I mean, that flies in the face of a very staunch allyship with the United States, where Turkey gets a lot, if not all, of its military hardware. So Turkey's really playing the fence on that one, which is making the U.S. be like, oh, okay, so are we allies with with these guys anymore? But Turkey right this second seems like they are more than willing to go it alone, and the West is not going to intervene. You asked specifically about the Armenians. I guess all you can do is join Kim Kardashian. Uh, she is Armenian. She's Armenian-American, I know. That's why she did it. No, I didn't. I'm sorry. I should have pointed that out. Uh, no, do you think Kim Kardashian would know about this unless she was Armenian-American? So, uh, no, no, all you can do is join Kim Kardashian and give money to the cause, I suppose. The only possible power that's going to help Armenia is Russia. And Russia has classically been an Armenian ally um, and may end up intervening, although Russia seems very hesitant up to this point to get involved either. Uh, But Russia's plenty ticked off at Turkey for getting involved, and now we're back to point. Turkey ticking off everybody. What else do you got? What other questions you got? Any other questions here in the Twitch chat, which I love because I can see it now. Okay. No other questions is fine with me. I'm sure there's only like five people that hung on this long. Oh, really? Okay. Well, if you like this, I'll do it again tomorrow. And if you have specific, have I mentioned a specific thing yet that you'd like me to focus on tomorrow? Um, Again, Turkey's involved in the Syrian civil war, which pisses pisses people off. Turkey's been pushing back against Arab leaders, which pisses off them. Turkey's been pushing back against Israel, which pisses off Israel and its allies. So there are many angles I can take. If there's one in particular you want me to start with tomorrow, let's get on it. Someone asks, like, war questions? Let's ask a question about class. Like yeah, sure. You can ask a question about anything. Yeah, oh, I'm sorry. I thought you said they had a question about class. Like war questions? All questions welcome. Sure. But I can wrap it up too since it was supposed to be 30 minutes and now it's an hour and a half. As usual, I screwed up again in reverse. I guess I should have broken that into... I should have broken that into uh, historic Anatolian Peninsula up to the formation of the modern state. But I wanted to get to some of the conflicts. So I had to get to the conflict. I had to get to the modern state so that you see that the Kurdish issue has always been there and to introduce you to that Cyprus issue, which is going to get really hot. They're going, uh, the Cyprus uh, thing is going to get hot because they're currently holding elections. And so it's possible that the North Cypriot area, the Turkish-backed North Cypriot state, might vote to rejoin the South. I'd seriously doubt it, but it's feasible. The pro-unification party was doing pretty good the last time I checked. And uh, that would really infuriate Erdogan if if the political party there decided that they wanted to turn their back on Turkey. That would be interesting. And he might not let that stand. It might be an invasion. 
again. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, I don't see any of the questions about the topic at hand. So let's see if I can figure out where I click in stream down here. Yes. Thank you all for tuning in. Hope you liked it. I will try to do better tomorrow. And as always, party on till eight o'clock.